I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Hayden Rogers, and this is an appendices episode to episode three, Kill My Magical Science, about the real world mythology of magic and its place in the fantasy genre. We love it and we have reimagined it in thousands of different ways since the first stories were told. The gods of ancient history used it, characters and objects of cultural legends wield it, and our fictional universes are run by it. In its simplest form, magic is just a power or force that doesn't occur in our natural world, but rather supernaturally influences it. Perhaps the reason it is so popular and exciting is because humans have always believed in magic to some extent. It has been important in human culture for most of recorded history, and to this day there are several cultures in which magic plays a role. The wise man or healer, the advisor and the seer, these have all been roles that were and are occupied by humans with magical abilities. Is the reason we are so obsessed with magic because there is a part of us and a part of our history that believes that it is real. The fantastic deeds and spells and powers that we read about actually have a basis in reality. We like to imagine that the impossible can happen. So what is part of our magical history? Well, in ancient societies, magic was the power of the gods. In ancient Mesopotamia, magic was used to divine the future, cast spells of love, and ward off bad fortunes, evil sorcerers, ghosts, and spirits. Curses were placed on people by evil sorcerers in secret, but breaking them was public. At the time, ideas of science, religion, and witchcraft were closely intertwined and formed a kind of white magic. The practice was used to combat sorcery and to heal disease. Those skilled in magic studied omens and symptoms to formulate a prediction of the future for a subject, and then performed rituals in an attempt to change the unfavourable fate. They also commonly followed a practice of burning, in which they would burn figures that represented a witch or warlock that had apparently cursed them. In burning the figure, they asked the gods to destroy their enemy. Likewise, they would transfer their sins to objects and food and burn them to rid themselves of ailments and woes. In Egyptian society, magic was an important part of the culture and religion. Magic was as legitimate an activity as praying to the gods, even when the magic was aimed at controlling the gods themselves. In fact, there was little distinction for the ancient Egyptians between magical and religious practice. The concept of magic was also intimately linked with spoken and written word. The act of speaking a ritual formula was an act of creation. There was a sense in which action and speech were one and the same thing. The magical power of words extended to the written word, as hieroglyphics were considered powerful divine things. Amulets were often worn as protective charms to maintain the fairness of the universe. The Book of the Dead is perhaps one of their most well-known magical practices, a funerary text of hundreds of spells which were physically placed upon and around the dead in several ways, and was designed to guide a deceased person into the afterlife. 
Some spells are intended to give the deceased mystical knowledge in the afterlife, or perhaps to identify them with the gods. Others are incantations to ensure the different elements of the dead person's being were preserved and reunited, and to give the deceased control over the world around them. Others protect the deceased from various hostile forces, or guide them through the underworld past various obstacles. Famously, two spells also deal with the judgment of the deceased in the weighing of the heart ritual. The last ceremony before a person's body was sealed away inside the tomb was known as the opening of the mouth. In this ritual, the priests would touch various magical instruments to various parts of the deceased's body, thereby giving the deceased the ability to see, hear, taste, and smell in the afterlife. In ancient China, there was a lot of grey area between magic, such as use of spells, talismans and gestures, and occult sciences, such as astrology, hemorology, geomancy and alchemy. Of course, many of these occult sciences are still seen today. Astrology is popular worldwide, and practices like feng shui are branches of geomancy. Occult theory often created pathways for magic users to harness power and use it to their advantage. Magic in ancient China was related to yin-yang dualism and the power of the natural world, especially the base elements, or five actions, known as the wuqing, fire, water, earth, metal, and air. Earlier magic was employed in dealings with the spirits and was important in religion. However, later magic became a separate function for its own sake, not necessarily having to be tied to religious practices. Spitting and spouting water over which a spell has first been uttered was a common device. Substances were believed to have magical properties. For example, amber was thought to ward off nightmare demons and is used in making headrests. Talismans made from strips of silk and inscribed with indecipherable writing have been discovered in a 2nd century BCE tomb. A medical manuscript discovered in the same tomb includes a recipe for curing witchcraft by burning a talisman, scattering its ashes over sheep broth, and bathing the victim with the brew. Of course, we see a lot of characters from ancient Greco-Roman magic and lore appear in our modern texts. C.S. Lewis, for example, was well known for incorporating these mythological creatures in his novels, while his good friend, J.R.R. Tolkien, preferred Germanic, Nordic, and Anglo-Saxon mythologies. Satyrs, fauns, centaurs, minotaurs, dryads, nymphs, griffins, gorgons, cyclops, all of these and many more are all denizens of the Greco-Roman period. We also see stories of seers and soothsayers, heroes gifted powers by the gods, and epic legends. So, what can we take and learn from our own human history when writing about magic? 1. We have a fascinating and varied past. This episode was just the tip of the iceberg. There are thousands of years of magical history for you to draw on and explore. Go on a research spiral and you'll learn amazing things. 2. Use real-world examples as a jumping-off point. If you are creating a whole new world, how can you adapt and make your magic different, exciting, and new? Even if your story is a supernatural twist on the real world, what's the thing that sets you apart? 3. Explore how humans feel about magic. We can clearly see that magic has always had a place in our world. It may be beloved and essential, or it may be forbidden dark art. How do the races of your world feel about magic? Is it essential to their lives? Is it a religious power? Are its users great healers or warriors or rulers? 
or does any citizen use its power to bring them good fortune? Thank you for joining me. If you have any comments or corrections, reach out to me on Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Just search for Kill My Darlings Podcast or look in the description for links. Or you can email me at killmydarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, make sure you listen to episode three, Kill My Magical Science, and I look forward to killing some darlings with you soon. Bye. Bye.